Hey, it's Chris Garlock. Today's show is a terrific discussion about the new film Rustin that's available now on Netflix. It's from this week's Labor Heritage Power Hour radio show, which airs Thursdays from 1 to 2 p.m. on WPFW 89.3 FM in Washington, D.C., and available wherever you listen to podcasts. Here's the show, and Happy New Year. So an epic demonstration in our nation's capital, organized in eight weeks. Do this, Dr. King. Own your power. There's one person who can organize an event of this scale. <laughs> the hell would buy Rustin? And so in this film, we see not only by Rustin as a leader and a gay man and activist, but also see him as a lover. This conversation of like being gay and being black at the same time is a conversation that I think is really specifically happening in the black community. One of my favorite quotes when he speaks of being, make sure every community have angelic troublemakers. Hi, and welcome to the Labor Heritage Power Hour, a weekly radio show celebrating the cultural heritage of the American worker. We're a proud founding member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network, laborradionetwork.org. I'm Chris Garlock with Elise Bryant. On today's show, Elise talks with two young activists about the new film Rustin, which tells the story of the charismatic gay civil rights activist Bayard Rustin. Despite incredible odds, Rustin managed to organize the historic 1963 March on Washington, one of the high points of the civil rights movement in the United States. Elise discusses the film with Pride at Works Jarrell Sanders and the A. Philip Randolph Institute's Denisha Montfort-Williams, plus on Labor History in two. The year was 2011. That was the day the National Labor Relations Board ruled that musicians in Lancaster, Pennsylvania were employees, not independent contractors. And here's the show. Jarrell Sanders helped start a Pride at Work chapter in Tacoma, Washington. Pride at Work supports and represents LGBTQIA workers in the U.S. and Canada. Jarrell currently does government affairs for Washington State's child welfare system and is a member of both WFSC Local 53 and AFSCME Council 28. Denisha Montford-Williams is the Associate Executive Director of the North Carolina A. Philip Randolph Institute. APRI is an organization for African-American trade unionists advocating social, labor, and economic change at the state and federal level. Denisha is also the Executive Director of Bayard Rustin LGBTQ A. Philip Randolph Institute. Labor Heritage Power Hour co-host Elise Bryant talked with Jarrell and Denicia about the new Netflix film, Rustin. Here's the film's trailer. 
saw an epic demonstration in our nation's capital, organized in eight weeks. Do this, Dr. King. Own your power. There's one person who can organize an event of this scale. <laughs> the hell would buy Rustin? His attention-grabbing antics make him an easy target. Well, let's not mention the unmentionable. Our new offices! A demonstration made up of angelic troublemakers such as yourselves. Make sure you are there! On August 28th, black, white, young, old, rich, working class, poor, will descend on Washington, D.C. This new generation is restless and angry. The pacifist is opposed to using violence, but must be prepared to receive it. You're irrelevant. It's Friday night. I've been called worse. Your mere presence could derail the fight for racial justice in this country a good 10, 15 years. On the day that I was born black, I was also born a homosexual. Sometimes you gotta fight back to get We're to calling back. for a peaceful march on Washington. We are committed to the cause of altering the trajectory of this country towards freedom. They either believe in freedom and justice for all. Or they do not. So what, what was yeah. your first impression when you saw the film, Rustin? The thing that really struck me the most is that opening scene, like an ode to the black woman that really laid this foundation for, and we're taking um, a lot of the hits, right? Like that, that really soft music, um, those really just poignant like moments to start the film, like really, I think struck a chord in, got me like emotionally ready for what was about to happen for the film. Um, another thing that I really appreciated about the portrayal of Baird was um, how clearly like feminine and like gay he, he really is and like in the mannerisms and how that wasn't it like it wasn't like a big deal. It wasn't um, very it was just very it was very normal. Um, and and the real like kind of push in the film comes from the relationship between Martin Luther King Jr. and Baird, right? Like, like the scene, the film opens with a scene of him breaking their friendship in a way, and like the kind of the the revival comes from them, like making up through that process and getting kind of um, Baird feeling really frustrated that he has to justify his existence, and I thought that scene was really really powerful. Um, where he's like, again, here I am having to justify justify my existence in this organization for which I love, I worked really hard for. And because like I experienced the world in this way, you know, when I was born black, I was born gay at the same time. Like that was just such like a powerful, like um, I think of like T.S. Madison, who is a huge voice for the like trans community in black culture. Um, she, she went on a rant on her YouTube page and that ended up in Beyonce's Renaissance um, album that quote, like I'm black, beige, dark beige, like that's T.S. Madison. And like just this, like this conversation of like 
being gay and being black at the same time is a conversation that I think is really specifically happening in the black community and trying to like live both of these, this queerness and this racial identity happening at the same time and trying to get comfortable in that. So I just, those are some particularly powerful moments off the top of my head from the film. It's great. Oh yeah, Denisha, you're next. That scene there hit me hard too. Because even today, as a woman, I, we're the least, we're least paid still. You know what I'm saying? Then I'm black and then in the LGBTQ community. So I wanted to throw that out there. Now, as far as the movie, I'm working backwards. He started for it. I'm going backwards, Jarell. Okay, we're going to cover this whole movie together. We got this, okay, friend? So for me, the ending, when he picked that back and started picking up that trash, that right there took me out because I say that's one of my things I say all the time. I don't care what title you give me. I, it's about the work that needs to be done. I'm no special than anybody. My title may say executive director, associate executive director, but I'm no different from anybody else. My my job might be different, but in the day, it doesn't matter. If it needs to get done, I would get on that floor and scrub floor myself. You know what I'm saying? So that for me took me out. Like the whole movie's great, but that ending, I was like, oh my God, my hero. Oh, you was already my hero, but you're my hero. And whatnot. So and then so going in back in, like a lot of my things gonna be repetitive, what Jarrell said. It really hit me. Um, the the showing the the girth of the black woman community being there supportive and 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 because that's not talked about. Like they're making them phone calls, they're they're doing strategic planning, they're um they're making figuring out how to do canvassing and who's going on the phone, who's gonna do this and everything, and having to go raise money. We had organizations today that we struggle with fundraising and whatnot. And then that think of that era that they had to raise money when economy it was as it was in communities they were going to. You know what I'm saying? To me, it, it's just so many pieces where you was angry. I was angry. And then I turned back around. I'm laughing. I'm smiling. I'm happy and I'm proud. So then I'm tearing, crying. Like it was emotional roller coaster. But I'm so proud and excited the work the producers and the writers and directors did on this movie. You know, um, I'm actually like it should be like a series and like a five story <laughs> limited series on Netflix. There's not one, you know, show because there's so many ways that can be broken up. There's pieces in it where also, you know, it made me look even further into some of the ex-elected officials to, to, to turn how my conversation around going further of how we really need to look at who we're electing because some of those people like uh, uh, Adam Powell, elected representative, you know what I'm saying? You know, um, who, who leads us in the NAACP today? That's different stuff that's still current day. We need to look at to make sure to me, like, do we have the right people in these roles? And because look what that, how that could have affected us if Bayer wasn't as strong and determined and if Asa wasn't who he was at that time and so many other people that Ella Baker that came in and was like pushing, pushing when he wanted to say, I give up, I quit. I can't help I'm black and I'm gay. I give up. But if he didn't have all these people still pushing and saying, no, bro, we need this. Guess what? I wouldn't be sitting in this chair right now doing what I do because this position would have never been made possible if it wasn't for the white Rustins of the world. You know? So yes. uh, that's that's how I feel about the movie. It was amazing. So in terms of this film, how how do you see us using it? How can we use this film? What does it mean to have this film out there, Rustin, about Byatt Rustin and what he did? What do you think? When I think of this and see examples of this in media, I think of how like people of marginalized communities have like a really specific connection to their communities. Um, and are really, really good at like grassroots organizing, right? I love how it's it's this drive for to make his community better. And watching that drive and th that's like so it it 
instills something in me that makes me like want to continue to make the world better when I see things like this. And so I, I think that we can use this by, again, recognizing that model and seeing how we can bring that model and make it modern. And in our organizing skills, in our ability to cold call and meet with folks, like negotiate, try to understand where people are coming from for like the greater good. Like, like understanding how people got to these major wins, I think has a lot of lessons in it and how we can continue to grow and become better as communities. Thank you. Denisha. So I was on the phone with Jeffrey um, Mason last night and we were talking about, I was telling about this today. And I was saying like, you know, we need to do some panels in North Carolina. We need to have some more conversations. We need to, you know, really dig into this and not just like, be like, oh, we saw it on Netflix and don't do anything. This here is is going to be something that could be in our toolkit for for real um, to, to share, to have these conversations, not just in our uh, LGBTQ community, but any boardroom that we're going to any conversation of strategic planning. And I'm not saying we're gonna sit there and watch the whole movie, but really to pick the politics and policies that was played in that movie. Cause you can't say we're fighting for a brown and black community or LGBT community. And we're not having conversations about even the politics and policy we saw take place in this film. That was real. That was real. So for me, I, that's one way um, I really I, I really feel that we have to do use that. But far as, um, where I see it going outside of our organizations, our grassroots organizations. Um, I'm hoping that if we use that social media that we've been using so much since 2020, that everyone begins to push it so much that people will make reels on it or TikTok, because that's when people start looking at stuff. When they see stuff on reels, a little short spaces or or TikToks, a little slow, they want to go back then and see what the whole movie's about. So I'm hoping that it's be enough um, conversation generated, even if it's a little skits or a little pieces of the movie, in these places that we're at, like I said, Reels and TikToks and Snapchat, that will make them put their phone down and go, let me go see what this actual movie is about. Because that's what we want to win. We need more people looking at that movie and asking more questions and getting more involved and invested. Not just the grassroots people, just everybody in our communities and whatnot. For me, that's where I see the win would be. Because after this movie, there's no, should be, after this movie and a year later, there should be absolutely no reason that nobody don't know who Bobby Rustin is. That time should be over for us. After this movie, us in the grassroots and out should be pushing this uh this 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 platform to where that we can stop saying, well, who's fired? I mean, I look back at even at the movie with by Asa Phillip with um 10,000 men named George. Um, I'm trying to play in my head if I even remember Byron's name being mentioned. I'm actually gonna watch it today. Cause how do we make a movie about 10,000 men named George and Byron was not mentioned in that movie? And when we have a movie by Rustin and we do have it's in it, which we need him in it to, it's going to be the support system. So those are the things that I think about and I want to get other folks thinking about it. And that's that's what that Rustin gives to me is like, OK, what can I do it? They have the directors, the producers, the writers. What can Denisha do on her part of that right there to keep that thing going? So when my grandkids come around, they know who Rustin is. They know there won't be nobody saying who's buyer. You're listening to the Labor Heritage Power Hour on WPFW 89.3 FM, your station for jazz and justice. We'll be back with the second part of our conversation with Jarrell Sanders and Denisha Montfort-Williams about the new Netflix film, Rustin, right after Labor History in Two. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. Oh, 
On this day in labor history, the year was 2011. That was the day the National Labor Relations Board ruled that musicians in Lancaster, Pennsylvania were employees, not independent contractors. Veteran musicians with the Lancaster Symphony Orchestra attempted to organize a union in 2007. They challenged the dictatorial methods by which musicians were treated. They wanted a contract to spell out the rules for hiring, firing, auditioning, grievance procedures, and more. When it came time to sign union cards, the symphony opposed the election, claiming the musicians were independent contractors. The musicians filed with the regional labor board. After receiving an unfavorable ruling, they turned to the national offices in Washington, D.C. There, the board utilized the common law agency test to determine the musician's status. These questions are to discern how much control workers have over the way they work, whether they are highly skilled, how they're paid, and if they provide their own tools, or in this case, instruments. When more answers tilt toward yes, workers are considered independent contractors. The NLRB determined that though these workers are paid on a 1099 instead of a W-2 form, they are employees because of their working conditions. They concluded that orchestral management exerted a great deal of control. Management determined musicians' dress, their posture and behavior before, during, and after rehearsals and concerts. Management also imposed discipline and firings. Musicians voted to join the Greater Lancaster Federation of Musicians the next spring, but their victory was soon undercut by management's refusal to negotiate a first contract. The musicians filed an unfair labor practice and won. The symphony took the case to a federal appeals court, which settled in the union's favor in the spring of 2016. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. So, talk, shout, take command. Who is that? Big famous Bob Russell. In 41, you called for a large-scale march. The time has come for another. Nobody. Handle all the grunt work. Rally the young. We are going to put together the largest peaceful protest made up of angelic troublemakers such as yourselves. So I, I, I have a thought that, that Chris and I were rolling around with, and that is that in the film, it's inferred that he was a civil rights hero but has been forgotten because of his sexuality. But it was his fiery and provocative class politics that makes him both controversial and prophetic today. Agree, disagree, your thoughts? Yeah, I would think so. I, I think it's like really easy to say in a time of like um, a lot of LGBT movements and um, things that it's like an easing out, but like they tried to use that as a means to oust him. But like the thing that kept him in were his relationships, his drive, his passion and his radical thought, right? Like that. Like, those are the things that truly made him successful. And so um, I would say it'd be like a really um, short-sighted view to think that, um, or maybe just like a limited discussion that could be expanded upon a lot more because that's, kind of, that's what they used to try to push him out. But it was like for political reasons. It's Friday night. I've been called worse. Your mere presence could derail the fight for racial justice in this country a good 10, 15 years. On the day that I was born black, I was also born a homosexual. So the scene with Adam Clayton Powell looking for this conviction record from California, that is it's what they try to use to push him out of the movement because they're like, do we really want this to be the, this guy who's clearly gay 
to be the face of this revolution. And, you know, I love when he's like, absolutely, you know what? I probably would, because that would be a bad idea. Like, here's why I specifically would be terrible to remove from this situation. You over there, how many buses? You over there, how many like people have we committed? You over there, how many sandwiches do we have? You over there. And after he like completely breaks it down, he's like, and that, sir, is why I would not be like, that'd be a bad idea for me specifically. Like class dismissed, goodbye. And then it, then it was his his peers who had to be like, and we're done. Go home. Thank you. We're not going to play this game anymore. Like, we're doing this. This is how we're doing it. And this man who has put in all this work, all this passion, and all this love for us is going to be there with us doing it. So I just, like, that was another really, really powerful scene for me. And um and yeah, but I, I think it would be like a little short-sighted to say it was just just his sexuality that kind of made him disappear. Um, a, a part of it, for sure, but not like the whole reason. Denisha. First of all, one of my favorite quotes when he speaks of being, make sure every community have angelic troublemakers. So this this was a man that was not a troublemaker. He was about getting things done. Um, out of fact, he was the one who actually taught um, Dr. King how to um fight what it when peace and not you know going out there you know doing to be like guns down and fight on time actually take a peaceful approach um so he was definitely about peace but he also stood his ground and so if that is the reason why people you know want to say he disappeared that's crazy because then a lot of us would i mean i'm i know i know some of your history um it's brian that you don't play and so you know you've been doing this and you don't play like when i hear your name like oh yeah she don't she about her business she don't complain and I know myself, I've been in situations and meetings where, you know, they might be mad at me for a few days, weeks or whatever, but I said what I felt need to be said, because this is what we're doing. How dare you tell me that um, we this is our plan to change the North Carolina and, well, you know what? Well, we it's still got heated in here. We're going to talk about this on Monday, about how we're going to be helping the LGBT community, the Black and Brown community on Monday. Y'all enjoy your weekend. I'm looking at you like... Uh, well, you might enjoy your weekend, but I am black all weekend still. I'm LGBTQ all weekend still. So what's the hurry? Let's have this conversation. So I'm not going to run away. So I don't feel like that that he was not, he disappeared because of how he stood his ground. I just feel like, um, I want to say maybe, maybe he even got tired. Like maybe he was tired of, of all of it. You know, we all get tired. I know I do sometimes, but then I get up the next day and I motivate and I keep going. So I don't know, but I don't think it had anything of where his his politics, politics, his stand or anything, or how he spoke, because he was such an angelic, angelic guy. He really was. And he just was passionate about it, you know? So I don't know if that answered the question correctly, but that's what I was feeling. <laughs> you, you cannot answer these correct questions incorrectly. Because <laughs> this is this is all about what's going on, how we're taking it in, how we're feeling about it, and what it means in the political uh social justice aspect of the work that we're doing. And it, and it definitely motivated me. And literally just sitting here talking about it, I'm trying not to cry because it, I, I really, it's, I do, I'm like sitting here trying not to cry because I'm feeling the movie, watching the movie, thinking about it and not even taking it out the movie, like the real, like, like I'm talking to him, like he's right there, you know, saying, Denisha, yeah, yeah, girl, yeah, girl, and whatnot, because this is real. So it was good to see that space, you know? One of the yeah. things that I occurred also think, to me, oh, oh, sorry. go ahead, go ahead, Jarrell, go ahead. I'll, I'll I mean, I was like, Martin Luther King Jr. was the front facing person of this movement, right? He was the flashy speaker. He was so like to the world. He really was like 
the face. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so it's, but as we saw in the film, it wasn't even just Bayard, right? Bayard. It was, it, it was an entire community behind him. And I think like in behind every single person, there were all these people. And, and so, you know, it's just like a lot of the behind the scenes folks don't get the, the big stage. And, you know, every person in elementary school learns about Martin Luther King Jr. But not, you know, the communities of people behind him that made that movement happen. That makes it almost seem like, well, the, I mean, I'm not put as the questions, but I got question. It may seem like, why have we still in 2023? Is that not part of the history as well as Dr. King in elementary school? Like, why? What? So that seems like that's still into politics to get the right people on these school boards and um, uh, city councils that actually implement this into to the education. Um, same with we doing the you know conversation about Dr. King and all that stuff. You know, yeah. Oh, you just hit on my favorite. Run for local office, people. <laughs> run for local run office. Y'all need to run for office, okay? I'm telling you straight up. I, I want to see a black yeah. president of the United States that's LGBTQIA. You know what I'm oh, saying? I, 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 want, no, I want you on the school board. I want you on the city council. I want yeah. you know, on the state assemblies, all of that. We need to be there. That's right. It's not just yeah. enough for one of us, because this is the whole thing about the, the hero nonsense that they want to put out there and perpetrate in history. Oh, it's just my thing. Then you knock that person off. It's over. No, it wasn't over, even after he was assassinated. That's it's right. been a message yeah. and it's been a ripple through our community. That's for sure. But the mm -hmm. work did not stop because he was not the only person doing it. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Snaps to that. I got chills. I got chills. <laughs> love you, Preach it today on the radio. Yes, I love you, <laughs> yes. So here's what I was going to say is that I, I, years ago in college, there was somebody, some, some white psychologist did a, a, a study and said that gay, that black men were mo more prone to homosexuality than white men. And I can't remember what the study was based on. But for a long time, I felt that there was a homophobia in our community, in the African-American community, because of this study that had been put, and this was, a, this was nationally known, recognized, and I wish I could remember, but I, I didn't think of it to just now. And so in this film, we see not only by Rustin uh, as a leader and uh, a, a gay man and activist, but also see him as a lover. And yeah. I want to know how y'all felt about that moment. Why is everyone so obsessed with what I'm doing and with whom? How can you preach salvation and not want to save yourself? Every day, we surrender that which makes us different. I can't surrender my differences. The world won't let me. For me, yeah, because I feel like you're going to really bring the clothes on it for me. For me, <laughs> as, a, as, a, as a woman looking at it, I was, in doing the work that we do, I, I felt I felt like ah because all that he's doing in a, in, a, in a space that that is trying to dag him down every single day and the hours he put in because we all have done his work the hours and commitment it takes to do it we do you get more no's than you get yeses and then he's getting attacked by brethren that he's supposed to be supposed to be together with that they're fighting against him because of sexuality that he can still find time to have love that's beautiful. Yes, beautiful. Um, but on the other end of it, in the in the world that we realistically live in, where people are still so screwed up in the head, I already see that there's still going to be that small box of Christians that are going to bypass the entire movie and just zooming in on that space right there. Does anybody tell you who you sleep with in your bedroom? So why is that the only thing you worried about? 
This man is, is created a space where we at today. Again, I can't say it today that the media rooms look more diverse than they ever. You know what I'm saying? Still a lot of work to be done, but it's all in the back of this man right here. And the only thing you can see in that movie is that who he was kissing or laying, or laying in bed with. Come on, America. Come on. But I was glad that they did put it because you got to because one of the retreats that just came for one of the things they talked about is finding that resting peace place. Find out that we don't in this work, we don't rest. So to be able to find rest and find time to be with a loved one and love and and because and you can, even though I know it's a movie, you can see the love and the passion they they express it. You know, I'm sitting like, oh, and whatnot. But there's so many I know that's gonna take that and run with it. Those are the ones I want to just pick and back and whatnot. Okay, I'm done. You're on <laughs> No, you're not done, but we're gonna come back. Go ahead, Joel. <laughs> So um, you see like the crux of this moment where he's clearly falling for this um, other pastor, right? And he has this like, for lack of a better term, live-in boyfriend who is fully engaged in his political work, fully engaged in his personal life, and is sharing a bed with, right? Um, like that, that moment for me was very, uh, very powerful because he's like, you're sitting here chasing this other guy who clearly can never love you back in the way that you're really wanting. Yet I'm here loving, showing you that I can do this. Like that, that complexity I thought was like, there was a queer person and there was a gay man in the writing room because that is like <laughs> a, a real perspective of how a lot of like the intersectionality of like maleness and queerness is so specific. And th there's like this forever chasing of like this escapism and you're, and you're chasing these things that seem really intimate and really powerful, not recognizing these like really like deep emotional connections that you have with others. Um, and so I thought like snaps to the writers that wrote that scene top-notch but it really showed the complexity of how queer people experience love and so, like oftentimes are put into these situations where we do develop these feelings and like because of political things um because of you know cultural social mores like we can't we don't get to always have that reciprocated back um and you know <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Like we put ourselves in plenty of situations with other openly queer people and experience just as many terrible things. But like, I, <laughs> I, I, uh, you know, love is messy and love is hard. And I love that it wasn't this like altruistic, like, um, you know, hyper romantic experience, but a very complex, muddy um, and convoluted kind of experience with love and relationships. And I, I absolutely loved that aspect of this film and it again tells me there were queer people in the writing room which i love <laughs> absolutely absolutely so i and, and thinking about uh, uh all of this i am reminded of what is the work ahead what what's your what are you working on this movie for me it was like girl you've got work to do you're not done. You've done this, 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 but you got work to do and tell, tell your shoes to burn off your feet or whatever. You know what I'm saying? So for me, it, it, it lit me back up. It's what I needed to light me back up. Because once I'm lit up, I'm like anybody up coming near me. I don't care what your age, color, right. Look, let me talk to you about this right here. So for me, it reminded me that I can't give up. There's, there's more work to do. That buyer didn't give up. All of what he went through, arresting him, following him, FBI. 
um, losing friendships, you know, all of that, you know, how dare I say I'm done. Go ahead, Jarrell. So Pride at Work, um, we are uh, really focused on like getting LGBT people who traditionally don't have access to union jobs, mm -hmm. union jobs, getting them healthcare, getting them access to, you know, any kind of gender affirmation care that they need. Uh, you know, everything that comes with a union job, healthcare, mental health care, uh, everything, right? Yeah. Um, so that's what we're working on. Also, I cannot express enough how people should go out and support the Starbucks Workers United movement. Yeah. Um, Starbucks employs a lot of LGBT people throughout this country, and they are doing some boots on the ground, truly grassroots from the ground up organizing and having wins across the country. Also, I just like am really personally excited about the um, CWA trying to organize the tech industry. Um, Grinders Worker United is um, really organizing, doing some really cool stuff and going through some major NLRB issues right now. So thank you all very much. Thank you. Hey, thanks to ancestors for bringing our paths together. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. But day of your march, the entire D.C. police force has been mobilized. What they really want to destroy is all of us coming together and demanding this country change. I remember saying that this Rustin fella's a little crazy. Only later did I fully comprehend that the little didn't even come close. We intend to go there not by the thousands, but by the hundreds of thousands. Yes! We are committed to altering the trajectory of this country towards freedom. That's what's on the line. Nothing less. Lord, I hope and pray they come today. That was Labor Heritage Power Hour co-host Elise Bryant talking with Jarrell Sanders and Denisha Montfort-Williams about the new Netflix film, Rustin. Hey, this is Simon Sapper from the Union Jews podcast. We're proud to be part of the Labour Radio Podcast Network with more than 200 Labour Radio shows and podcasts from across the USA and around the world. The Labour Radio Podcast Network, where working people speak. Find us at labourradionetwork.org. And that's it for this week's edition of Labor History Today. You can subscribe to LHT on your favorite podcast app. Even better, if you like what you hear, we sure hope you do. Like it in your podcast app, pass it along, and leave a review. That really helps folks to find the show. Labor History in Two is a partnership between the Illinois Labor History Society and The Rick Smith Show. It's a labor-themed radio show out of Pennsylvania. Our music today was Show Me Your Ideas by Branford Marsalis from the Rustin Soundtrack. Labor History Today is produced by the Labor Heritage Foundation and the Kalmanovitz Initiative for Labor and the Working Poor at Georgetown University. Keep up with all the latest labor arts news. Subscribe to the Labor Heritage Foundation's free weekly newsletter at laborheritage.org. The Labor History Today team includes Ben Blake, Patrick Dixon, Leon Fink, Sherry Lincoln, Joe McCartan, Evan Papp, Jessica Pozak, and Alan Weirdak. For Labor History Today, this has been Chris Garlock. Thanks for listening. Keep making history and see you next year.